I always wonder what to say when I, when I begin these things. And um, I think, actually, this morning, the time we had with the Smiths was, was fantastic. Um, so I'm married to the incredible Joe. We've got two little boys, Noah and Jacob. And um, I realized this morning that uh, Jacob, no, sorry, Noah, um, has no care whatsoever for getting wet or getting cold. Um, he absolutely loved going out. And um, he got drenched. When I, when I tipped out his wellies, there was about that much water at the bottom of both. He didn't complain whatsoever. He, like, he, he walked like that for at least an hour with that much water in, in his wellies. He absolutely loved it. Um, and Jacob, when, when we got home, we drove back. Um, Jacob fell asleep in the car. So we were like, we won't wake him up. We're just going to leave him. Um, so we put his car seat in the hallway and we left him and he actually slept for three and a half hours. Um, so in the middle of this afternoon, we actually, we got him up and we lifted him out and we realized that he'd been basically lying in a puddle of water because his clothes got so soaked. We didn't, we had no waterproof for him this morning. So Joe was like covering him with her own waterproof and we hadn't quite realized like the underlayers, how wet they'd got. Um, but he was fine. So, uh, yeah, that's... But this, this, I think this is family, right? This is... Um, there's a certain messiness. There's a certain joy, though, um, to, uh, to being community and to being family. So um, let's open up today's passage, if we will. Um, today we're going to be looking at um, Luke 7, uh, verses 1 to 10, which I think is going to be on the screen. If you happen to want a Bible... There are many at the back. I've got myself one that's here as well. Uh, so please do grab one of those. So let's read from chapter 7. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion's servant, who his master valued highly, was ill and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with him. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is, when, that is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under, under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. And I tell this one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd, following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith, even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent, returned to the house, and found the servant well. This is the word of the Lord. So to begin with, I thought we could just unpack this passage a little bit together. I think, um, all in, I think it's, uh, it's pretty straightforward, in a way. Uh, so I'm going to tell it to you, again, in my own words, just to summarize what it says here. Um, so essentially, we've got a centurion, a Roman soldier, a man who's, um, who's got authority over 100 men. And this man, he's heard of Jesus, he's heard Jesus and what he can do. And there's a situation, the man 
has got a servant who he cares for very deeply, and the servant is unwell. In fact, he's so unwell that it says here that he's about to die. And so he sends, um, he sends some men to go to Jesus to ask Jesus to come and heal his servant. And so off the men go, and they talk to Jesus, and Jesus agrees, and Jesus comes uh, to heal the man. But on the way, um, the centurion, he sends some friends to intercept, and says, says to Jesus, essentially, I'm not worthy for you to come to my house. But rather than just saying, don't come and don't do this, he essentially says, but will you still pray and will you still heal this man, this servant of mine? And of course, Jesus does. And it says here, Jesus was amazed by the man's faith. See, Jesus realized that the man was, was saying that you, I'm not worthy for you to come to my house, but I know that you can heal him from afar. Please, will you? And he does. And that's how the story ends, that the men return home and they find the servant well. So I want to pose a question tonight to start with. And the question, and I'm going to give a pause just for a few minutes, not minutes, moments after I've asked this question, uh, just to consider it. The question is, how do you respond to the authority of Jesus as a servant of God? So I don't know what you've been thinking about that question, but um, actually it was slightly a trick question because the answer is in the question. How do we respond to the authority of Jesus? Stop. As a servant of God. That, I believe, is how we respond to the authority of Jesus in our lives. And I think in looking at this passage... I believe the centurion is a model of effective Christian service. There's a call here, I think, for us to live like this. Here we have a man in authority who became a servant to his own servant by calling Jesus to come and heal him. And you might be thinking that, okay, that's a good call. Sounds like a good challenge to us. Why don't we be the same as him? But it goes a little bit further than that as well. I think it actually goes on to say this is not only a model for effective Christian service, but actually a model of commended service as well. Because it says a couple of times in here, it says, it says in verse 9, there's a, su a suggestion in verse 9 that Jesus was looking for this kind of faith. It says, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. And interestingly, this is one of only two places where Christ commends a person for having great faith. And I think also the fact that it's a centurion is also important to us. 
It's important because sometimes when we think about uh, service, when we think about serving, I think we think that it's not for all of us. But there's something here, I think. The centurion, he did a secular job. He didn't work in ministry. He didn't work for the church. He did a secular job. Yet he had great faith. And he also lived in an unbelieving world. He lived in Capernaum, and it was an unbelieving place. And in many ways, it's a little bit like us here in Cambridge. We live in an unbelieving world. Do we have great faith? And also, it's probably true for most of us, we have some sense of authority over others in our lives. We're not the bottom of the ladder. Many of us have got... um, I've got roles and responsibilities, people that we are, have some sense of authority over in our lives. And this was the case for the centurion as well. So service is for all of us. There's none of us who are exempt from this model of Christian service. And I was thinking about Christian service, and I was thinking about this role and what it, what it would look like one of the things that I've been doing recently at work is I've been um, interviewing some people for some jobs. And I really enjoy interviews because um, I find it really fascinating to know um, how will the potential turn into the real. So you meet someone and you might interview them and you, you ask them a bunch of questions and then you have to decide normally within like one or two conversations whether you're going to potentially work with that person for what could be a very, very long time. And you have to make pretty big decisions on very, very little information. And I'm I'm always fascinated by what you go for. Do you go for um, qualifications? Do you go for experience? You know, do you go for some kind of intuitive sense that they might, you know, be a good fit for you, uh, to work with you? And I was thinking, what would it be like if if actually I was recruiting on behalf of God, it, you know, imagine a situation, you know, God calls us into his office and he sits us down and he's like, right, we've had, we've had a good year, um, good year in the kingdom, and we've got a bit of budget, so we want to hire some servants to come and follow me. Imagine we were given the responsibility to establish who we should hire, and on what basis we should hire them. What would that look like? You know, imagine what, what are the traits we'd be looking for in those people that we'd be coming to bring as new servants of God. So today, I'd love to just pick out three, three traits that I think are important. So for all of us, I think there's two ways we can look at this. We can consider ourselves... Uh, as I share these, either the interviewer, if you want to, or if you really want to, if you fancy a little bit more challenge, consider yourself the person being interviewed and those traits and whether, uh, whether we feel like we hold those traits. Um, and I can honestly say that as I, um, as I wrote this and as I prepared for this, I was pretty well challenged <laughs> by, uh, by what I've got. So I'm saying that this is a definitely a challenge for me and so... I wouldn't be surprised if it's a challenge for some of you as well as I share this. Um, So I've just got three 
things that I think embody what it means to be a servant of God. The first of those is an exalted view of Jesus. So what do I mean when I say exalted? What I really mean is I mean that he is all-powerful and he is the one in the position of authority over everything. He's the one in charge. He is the boss. And I question this sometimes in my own life. Do I think this? Do I believe this when I face some of the difficult situations in my own life? Only recently I was, I was really worried, quite anxious about, um, about some of the behaviors that, that Noah has got and, and um, how we were trying to discipline him around that and, and how I could try to do something better to see a better outcome. And I faced myself really challenged with the, with the question, did I really believe God for him having authority over that situation? in spite of my own um, shortcomings. You see, because for the centurion, Jesus had the authority over the disease. As it says in verse 7, just say the word and he will be healed. That was the words of the man that he believed, that his servant was going to be healed. As a man of authority, over 100 men, conceding to Jesus' greater authority, There's a quote I like um, from a, a scholar who was at Princeton in the early part of the century. And he said this, he said, Some men have a little God, and they're always in trouble with him. He can't do any miracles. He can't take care of the inspiration and transmission of the scriptures to us. He doesn't intervene on behalf of the people. They have a little God, and I call them little godders. Then there are those that have a great God. He speaks, and it is done. He commands, and it stands fast. He knows how to show himself strong on behalf of those that fear him. To those he calls big godders. And the truth is that God is looking for someone like the centurion, big godders. You know that Jesus Christ is Lord above all. And with a simple faith can say the word and it will be done. We need to believe that he is the God of the impossible. We need to have that faith that God can change situations that are far beyond our own control. Do we really have that faith of his sovereign authority? And I really struggled this last year with that, in particular around the situation with our, our family and our future. And, and this is not something we've shared widely, but we, we seriously considered um, leaving Cambridge earlier this year because we saw many of our friends leaving and we saw... Um, we, we saw bits of the, of the core of our community really start to, to what I would describe as disintegrate. And I think it really is that question. And I think God 
really did have to take me on a journey and show me that he has the authority over everything and over that situation. And he called us to be here, positively, positively called us to be here because, because I believe that his plans and purposes for Cambridge go far beyond anything that I could ever imagine. And I hope that some of you as well have some of that same faith that I do for this place. So that's the first quality, the first qualification, if you will, an exalted or a higher view of Jesus. The second one, as you might probably imagine, is, is almost the mirror opposite of that. And it's a lowly view of ourselves. You see, because the truth is that actually I'm unworthy and I need to grow in humility. And I need to have faith in God's grace. You see, the centurion knew that he wasn't worthy in spite of what the Jewish delegation had said on his behalf. You know, the centurion was a good man. He could have boasted in his great faith that was spoken of in the passage. He was a generous man. He was a compassionate man towards his slave. Yet we need to realize that true humility stems from the recognition of our own insufficiency and Christ's all-sufficiency. And I can definitely speak to, to this because I'm, a, I'm a, a man of plans and purpose, visions and great ambition and stubbornness. But I need to always remember that my plans may not be his plans. And I need to concede that his plans are always greater than my plans. I do know that he will use my gifts, but I believe that God uses our faith even more than our gifts. That's, that's the number one, faith. We also need to recognize our own helplessness and that we can't fix everything ourselves. The centurion saw that insufficiency in himself. He knew that he couldn't heal his servant himself, but he knew a man who could. There was a time in my, my own life a few years ago where I came to this place. I was in a difficult relationship and I tried absolutely everything to try and fix it in my, in my own strength. And I didn't know in the end how. But in the end, only in God's strength could, could he lead me to a better place. Could he lead me from the place that I was in. I was in that place of helpfulness and I had to learn to humble myself. There was at moments just an inability to see that though because my natural inclination was to just try and fix it 
and to try and do everything that I could to make a change, to make it better. And in the end, I just broke down and didn't have anywhere to go. But Christ is all-sufficient. And one of the reasons I can, I'm here today and can speak of that is because of that, because of that truth. My final point about having a low view of self is that it needs to look outwards, though. You see, there's a danger for us. In particular, if we suffer with, um, with low self-esteem or with anxiety or anything of that nature that, that kind of having a lower, lower view of self can lead to being in very dangerous places in our own lives. But the key is that it's about looking beyond ourself because the answer isn't found in our own self. The answer is found in Jesus. So it's not that I can do nothing. I can do nothing it might be the start. But the reality is that I can do nothing, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So that's the second one, having a lowly view of self. And the third one is having a caring view of others. The centurion had compassion for his slave. We know that. We saw that in the story. And we need to have faith in God's authority and grace towards others. You see, back in the story at that time, and to some degree today in the world, if, if we found the situations like this, we'd see that slaves are very much just like property, and they're bought and they're discarded when they're not needed anymore. And the centurion could have had that attitude. He could have been like that, and he could have said, that's the end, I'll get, I'll get a new slave. But he didn't. You see, the power had not gone to the centurion's head. He knew that it's important how we treat other people. I think I learned this lesson personally with, um, probably from my parents. They, they both, for the time that worked in the whole lives, they, they both worked in mental health and they both worked with some of the, the kind of the people in, in and around the community and the society that were pretty well despised by others. And, but they always taught me that we should always be looking out for people like that, those who are not as privileged, those that find themselves in difficult places. It's challenged me, I think, in my life. I think about this all the time when I'm working. I think, do I, how do I treat the people you know, the people that I've hired, how do I treat those people? Do I have a caring view of others? Because ultimately, 
everyone or all of them are God's children. And God often chooses to use the people that, that we would reject. And this happens all the time, right? It's like whenever we're given a role or responsibility, something to do, we go and find the people that we think are the right people. And this is what society does. And society finds all the people that it thinks are the right people. And then it just leaves all these other people. And they, those are people who are full of potential. And it's partly our job to care for those people. In fact, I wouldn't say partly. It is our job to care for those people. And I'm sure that we all know people like that in our lives that maybe are not, not loved, not respected. Because we do need to look out for the helpless and the lowest in society. And it's one of the reasons I do Kairos is for that reason because I think God has shown me that I think I said this the other week that those men the reason why they're there in, mostly is because of situations that were far beyond their own control they were, um, they were children who many of them were, were abused had um, violent upbringings got into um, gangs to find a sense of, of belonging in the absence of families. But these are the people that we should be caring for. So this third one is, is to have that caring view of others. So I don't know about you, but that was pretty challenging for me. I believe that God is calling us to be like the centurion, to have a high view of Jesus because Jesus is the Lord of authority and we trust him for the impossible. And a lowly version of ourselves. We are unworthy and insufficient, but Christ is gracious and all-sufficient. And then finally, a caring view of others. Others who are helpless and need compassion. And to realize and to remember always that Christ's authority and grace extends to those as well in society who many of us despise. So I'm just going to pray to finish. One of the things that we do in Kairos, um, if you'd permit me to steal is uh, is after we finish talks we do two minutes of silence just so that we can meditate on the word and so I'd love to just do that now just to so I'm just going to quickly pray and then we're just going to be quiet just for a few moments Lord we thank you that you are the authority over everything and over all of us. Lord, we thank you for what you've shown in these, in these words and the challenge that it is to us. Lord, I pray that we would be like the centurion. Lord, that we would be your servants, that we would lay aside our own agendas and that we would follow you. Lord, that you'd lead us 
through the situations that we encounter in our lives, that all of the difficult ones, even the ones where we may have, have ruled out any possibility that you may, have, you may be able to speak into or, or restore us or lead us through. Lord, I pray that you would show us, Lord, that you are the authority over those situations as well. And Lord, I pray that you'd, you'd show your sufficiency to us. Lord, I pray that we would, we would concede to you and we would just lay aside the things that we bring that sometimes just get in the way. And Lord, as, as you deal with us and you deal with our own hearts and you continue to shape us and mold us to be your servants, Lord, I thank you that you call us to look outwards. Lord, that the end of the journey doesn't, doesn't begin, sorry, the end of the journey doesn't end with ourselves, but it continues on to others. So Lord, I pray that you'd identify to us the people that you're calling us to love and to show love to you and to show a, a caring attitude towards in our own lives. whether it's the people that we, we work with, we live with, we see day to day, our families. <coughs> Lord, we thank you for your grace. And Lord, we thank you that because of what you have done for us, Lord, that we are able to, to be your servants. In your name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.